Hello and welcome to AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. I'm your host, John S. Today we meet Willow F. from Seattle, Washington, who this month, December 2016, is celebrating 28 years of sobriety. Willow got sober as a young person in AA and created a new life as a person in recovery, a life that she lives fully with a passion for creative expression and a sincere wish to give back in service to others. Hello, Willow. Thank you for uh, agreeing to be here on AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. Hi, John. It's great to be here. It's good to see you, or not see you, but talk to you. Yeah, you too. (laughs) After meeting you in Austin and having a podcast with you earlier with Ben and Vic and me and you, we're talking about our our experience there. Yeah, that was Thought it would be fun to have you back. Why don't we start, Willow? The, what what I usually what we usually do here is just have the person tell their AA story, and then we let that evolve into a natural conversation. So, um, you want to go ahead and start with you know you know what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now, and just take it from there. Yeah, sure. Okay. So, um, so and and my uh, you know my my story is kind of long, so I was trying to I was trying to make it a little bit more succinct. Okay, uh, thinking a little bit about about it before we started, but, sure. um, I'll, I'll kind of start and preface things with, you know, I, I got sober very young. Uh, I was about a week before my 15th birthday. Oh, okay. And, uh, and this month is actually my birthday month. So, um, on December 26th, I'll have 28 years. Congratulations. Thank you. It's very weird to say that <laughs> sometimes, but, but it's great. Um, so kind of where it started for me, I was, I was raised in a, um, in a pretty liberal environment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, my parents, um, ha- came from different backgrounds, but at, you know, by the time they were together with me, um, kind of a little bit of, um, partying and free li- living was a, a part of their lives and, and a bit of the way that they were. My dad was a, a, a musician, uh, while I grew up and, um, uh, I probably, I, I had my first drink at about two years old. Oh, wow. Uh, my dad was having a very intense conversation with one of his friends and they were tasked with watching me, um, while we were on a, I don't know, we call it a family camp out, but it mm-hmm. lasted three months. I think we were actually homeless, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but it was, it was fun for us. But, uh, yeah, so I, I crawled up and, uh, took a huge mug of beer that he had sitting on the table and, uh, drank the entire thing, um, and you know he, him, and his friend didn't notice, and mm-hmm. I absolutely loved it. Wow! You know, my it's, it's a you know a funny story that gets told in my family that you know when my mom came back, I was we had an air mattress in a tent, and I was literally bouncing off the tent walls and just <laughs> happy, 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 and and loving it. Um, and I think that uh, you know there's there's a lot of talk about if alcoholism and addiction is environmental Mm -hmm. or um, is it hereditary or, you know, just a chemical imbalance or that kind of thing. I don't know, but I probably qualify on all levels (laughs) for it. You know, I was, I was kind of set up for it. Um, And so growing up, it wasn't, you know, I didn't necessarily drink freely growing up, but my, um, my parents smoked pot and, Mm -hmm. uh, and it was a common thing in our family to uh, just pass it around even with the kids. Oh, wow. Um, so I couldn't tell you when the first time I smoked pot was. I, uh, they blew it in my face when I was young because mm-hmm. I was, you know, pretty excitable and, you know, they were kind of mellow and, you know, needed me to calm down and that was effective. And, you know, um, I was probably holding it myself as soon as I was able to. Wow. Um, it's just something that was kind of common. And it wasn't, you know, I don't know. I, I didn't I didn't see it as a bad thing then. And I, mm-hmm. I still kind of don't now, you mm-hmm. know, sounds bad but um you know not that i would recommend it to anybody but mm-hmm. it, it was just it was just what they knew you know sure. um they were just doing what they knew um and so that was kind of all throughout my childhood um and when i was around 11 mm-hmm. uh, my my parents actually got involved with a uh, a marijuana growing operation mm-hmm. and um we uh lived in a house that had a grow room underneath um and as a result of that, and, and the people that we were around and what we had going on, um, my older brother, who was was working with them on it, um, he ended up uh, getting murdered oh. uh, when I was 13 years old uh, in relation to that. And so that was a really, um, you know, at that kind of developmental stage for me, sure. um, you know, and that, that really 
shattered our family. It was, you know, super traumatic for everyone involved. And um, we actually had to kind of, us and many other people that were involved, had to kind of run from where we were because the person that did it had an address book and was possibly looking for other people. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we were, we were up here in the Northwest when that happened. And we ended up going to Southern California, which is where my mom's family was from. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, in the, in the process of um, sort of trying to just survive through that, um, all of us, it was my mom and my dad and I were kind of the family unit at that time. I have um, my brother that was killed was um, from my mom's first marriage, and mm-hmm. I have four other siblings from my dad's first marriage. Um, but none of them were living right with us at that right. time. Um, so the three of us went to California uh, and kind of all um, just started a snowball of our own addiction, just mm-hmm. dealing with the things that were going on and not being able to talk to each other. There was a lot of, you know, a lot of hurt and blame for my parents with each other and mm-hmm. with themselves. And, um, you know, we, we weren't able, we didn't have the skills to be supportive to each other. We were just... Right really broken. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we got to Southern California and I got into school down there into high school. And I just, you know, I looked for the party scene. At first, I don't know that I, I realized this, but I was really just trying to numb, you know, this traumatic event that had happened to me. And, uh, you know, so I gravitated toward people that partied and that ditched and, um, you know, went and hung out with adults in the area and, you know, had no interest in really being in school um, I was pretty smart, and I would learn stuff if I heard it, um, but I had absolutely no desire to really participate in those things that you were supposed to do in life. I did not care at mm-hmm. all. And uh, so as a result, I was expelled from high school in 1988 uh, uh, in March. Okay. So that was 10th grade. Um, and they, you know, they expelled me because they had me on a watch list. You know, I'd been busted, you know, doing smoking pot at school and running mm-hmm. away. I didn't drink necessarily at school, but that was, you know, when I was out of school, that was hand in hand, you know, with the party scene, you know, whiskey, tequila, beer, whatever, you know, anything really was anything I can get my hands on. Right. Because at that age, I wasn't procuring my own Mm -hmm. substances, but anything somebody had and I could get my hand around (laughs) went in and all of it usually went in, (laughs) you know, no matter what the consequences of that. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I ended up, uh, like I say, expelled from school. Um, at some point in there, I was, I was thinking about this today. You know, I don't, it's, it's so long ago and, and so much of that is blurry. Sometimes it's kind of like an after school special that I watched. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't really remember how this happened, but I ended up running away or leaving home. Um, I went and lived in a house with some drug dealers and um, they supplied us with, a lot of them were into meth and that was around and, you know, we kind of had a trade-off deal, but I would usually take their drugs and then I would go, you know, walk around the streets with my friend. Um, basically, we would we would walk around and wait for somebody to pull up beside us and say, hey, you girls want to party? Mm-hmm. And then we would get in the car with them and go do whatever you would do in that circumstance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just, I you know, I, I put myself in these just crazy, dangerous um chaotic situations um constantly and i think you know of course i didn't realize this at the time but when i look back on it now i I really think that that it was a a method of choosing my own chaos and danger rather Mm -hmm. than the chaos and danger that other people had put oh isn't that interesting you know it's because i and i just you know everything that i did and the drugs and the drinking all of it um i did as much as possible as fast as possible to get as high as possible yeah like every time and i didn't i didn't really have a concept of of not doing it that way Mm -hmm. um i still don't when i think about it i I still don't i mean i know that other people think about it differently but Mm -hmm. i still don't understand why you would have a glass of wine right seem it doesn't like it is alcohol so that you will get drunk and right. why drunk if not totally drunk uh-huh. <laughs> um, I, I get that other people don't think that way but that's why i know that i'm somebody mm-hmm. who needs to drink but yeah so uh so i continued down that road you know doing all that crazy stuff um you know luckily you know really bad things didn't happen to me but i think that um it's because i was willing to do really bad things too mm-hmm. i didn't you know, i didn't resist taking the bad road so nobody 
to force me down a bad road, you know, to kind of say it subtly. But, Mm -hmm. uh, and I ended up, I was, so at, um, at 15 years old, I was five foot 10 and 90 pounds. I was an absolute mess. You know, my parents, um, you know, I was, I was not living there away from them and they were, you know, because of what they had already been through, you know, they, they, it was tearing them up to see me going through that, but they didn't really know what to do. They didn't have, you know, they, they still weren't well Mm -hmm. from their own trauma. Um, but at some point they came and found me where I was or no, well, I, I guess I had, I had kind of a, a really weird, bad come down thing and I called them and asked to come home. Mm-hmm. I think that's sort of where it started. And, uh, when I came home, um, I ended up going and doing a bunch of shoplifting and getting busted with a bunch of drug paraphernalia on me. And, um, it, they basically said, get her to rehab or she's going to go to juvie. So my parents got me into a rehab facility. And when I, you know, when I first um, was there, I didn't, like I said, I had never even thought about not living the way that I was living. You know, my, my role models at that time, like, you know, there's this woman, she was probably, she probably wasn't even 30. Her name was Moxie. And she was, you know, she was a dealer and she was, I thought she was super cool. And she looked like she was 50. And, um, she, she, you know, I don't know if she lived long, but mm-hmm. she didn't look like, you know, she was, <laughs> she was going to go. <laughs> and I wanted to be like her. Like yeah. that was, that was my goal. I, I didn't really, I didn't have hopes and dreams. I didn't look at life past my twenties. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wasn't necessarily suicidal, but I certainly wasn't really interested in what life had to offer either. Mm-hmm. So I just didn't, I just didn't have much to look forward to. Um, so when I first went into the rehab, that was the first introduction that I had to the idea that there was another way to be. And at first I wasn't really interested in it. Uh, although I did, you know, I kind of listened to a little bit. I was like, oh yeah, they've got a point. Like, you know, okay, I should probably not do meth anymore. That's, mm-hmm. that's pretty bad. And, um, but you know, smoking pot and drinking is, you know, that's just, that's, you know, what is life sure. without that? <laughs> right. And, you know, <laughs> and uh, I got, I ended up getting kicked out of that rehab because I wasn't you know, we, we were supposed to do some work with mm-hmm. the steps, things like that. And I wasn't doing those things. And um, I think it was, I think I was there maybe like two months or yeah. maybe three months and then got kicked out. I feel like it was like over that summer. It's also really weird that that time frame um, seems like it was so long when it was happening, mm-hmm. you know, probably because my life was still so short at that time. Mm-hmm. But it was really, really, really fast. Yeah. My, you know, my, my trip to the bottom was on a rocket ship is yep. what I feel like. Um, no, I can so, relate to that actually, because that's exactly how I felt. Um, I was 25 when I stopped drinking, when I got to AA. And so it was all through my high school years and my early 20s when my drinking was really bad. And I, when I look back on it now, that was a really relatively short period of my life. But it seemed at the time it was a long haul. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and I yeah. and when I got to AA, people kept telling me, "Oh, you're so lucky to be here, so young," but I didn't feel young, and I didn't feel very lucky. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I was just gonna say, like, <laughs> I, and I heard, I heard that too. I yeah. heard that. I, and, you know, and I, I still hear that, and I, I feel that now. Uh-huh. Um, but at that time, no, I didn't. I guess I still felt young, but I did not feel lucky at yeah. all. <laughs> no, you know? and I cringe when I hear people say that every once in a while. They'll look at someone coming, oh, you're so fortunate. Or so, you know, it's like, oh, come on, please. <laughs> yeah, not... <laughs> you don't know my whole story, you know? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so so I went back. Um, you know, I had to go, after that summer was over, I had to go back to school. And because I had been expelled, I was only allowed to be at the alternative school, which is where all the party kids were. Oh, great. I kind of <laughs> tried to stay sober, but you know, the people that I gravitated towards were the people that I knew. And uh-huh. like, I remember they had a meeting in my school um, and there's this guy that led it, but then I decided to go to a party and, and try to be there sober with some other friends. Mm-hmm. And I saw this guy there like partying up like crazy. And that was, that was kind of a turning point. I was like, Oh, these people are all totally full of shit. <laughs> Fuck, you know? Yeah. So off I went, you know, on another binge and, you know, again, with my parents not being able to find me and went, went and, you know, was kind of living with a friend and just running around doing the crazy stuff. And um, they just, uh, I don't know, I think it was probably a couple of weeks before Christmas. Um, they came and found me. Um, you know, my dad was really adamant. He was, you know, I'm, I'm taking you to jail or you're going into rehab and that's it. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I ended up... I, 
you know, I was scared. And so I got in the car with them and I went, some of the counselors from the first um, rehab center I was in had opened a new center on their own. And so I ended up going there. I sort of knew the people. I knew a couple of the other patients from before. And, uh, and I remember sitting on the step outside that place with, with one of the guys in there and, you know, something, you know, because one of the things that had happened after I went back out is all this stuff, you know, the first intro that I got with meetings and, you know, recovery stuff, I was so young. I was like, I'm, I am not like these people. I'm not, you know, I, I am not an old alcoholic. None Mm -hmm. of this really applies to me, but Mm -hmm. you still hear all the stuff in the back of your mind. And, you know, I, I thought that I, now I knew better and I could limit myself and all of this. And, and, uh, basically going back out, proved everything right and showed me exactly how much like those people I was. Sure. Um, you know, and you know, there's that old phrase about a, you know, head full of AA and a belly full of alcohol, mm-hmm. you know, it's a bad mix. And it really is true. You know, once, once you get that seed planted, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to deny it. Yeah. Um, so while I was back out, I remember I had this, I had this experience um, where, and this, and this was so Christmas day, um, which was the last day that I drank. We had been at my grandparents' house, and I went in and I snuck my grandfather's um, Thunderbird wine out of the refrigerator a few times. And then that night we went back home, and I ended up going to hang out um, with a friend of mine who also bought Thunderbird wine, which was really weird. You know, mm-hmm. that's like <laughs> the, the epitome of alcoholic drinking, right? Something I had mm-hmm. never had before, but that's actually the last thing I ever drank. <laughs> um, and uh, so I was drinking that with this, with these people and they, you know, they kind of didn't want me around and I was just lonely and desperate and sad and that, you know, that awful feeling that we have in the pit of our stomachs about how our life is when we're in the middle of the addiction. And I, you know, I went outside and was standing there and I had, you know, for a long time, I described this as my white light experience. Um, but I had, you know, what I what I thought of as a, a voice from outside say to me, you don't have to live like this anymore if you don't want to. And I really, I really heard it, mm-hmm. you know, really, it was like a real voice. It Well, well, I mean, I really heard it, but I mean like inside, like, okay. like it did sound, you know, and of course, um, as I, as I kind of played along with traditional AA, mm-hmm. you know, the more I told that story, the more it <laughs> sure, worked. Sure. I don't talk to me. It was God. <laughs> yeah. 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 Gotcha. Um, but you know, now I know I hear, I was yeah. probably, it was probably either me talking to myself or, uh-huh. you know, remembering something I had heard, but it really, you know, whatever it was, right. The thought hit home. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I really understood and knew in my heart that I did not have to live like that anymore if I didn't want to. And so when I went back into our rehab, uh, after that, I remember sitting there with, with one of the guys and saying, you know, well, I'm going to give this 30 days of really trying. Um, but then, you know, if, if it doesn't really make a difference after that, then forget about it. And, uh, and I, I have no idea, you know, I, I didn't even notice when 30 days came because I yeah. did, I poured myself into it. I really, we had, we had to do a really thorough first step. It was, I think my first step was like 40 pages of writing and, you know, really showing how you were powerless. And, and, you know, I, and I, I did commit myself to doing the things that they did in there. And at mm-hmm. the same time, you know, even when I went, into that first rehab, uh, they also got my parents into meetings and into groups. You know, when, when my parents first brought me in and they were like, Oh, our daughter's all messed up. You got (laughs) to fix her. And they were like, okay, well, we'll, we're going to take her over here. And why don't you two come talk to us? (laughs) um, So we all, we all went into recovery, um, at the same time at that point. And, and yeah, I, I really started to take it seriously. And that's, you know, that, night, you know, I, I, I left that apartment after I had that little experience. And that was the last time I ever drank, you know, and I just started, um, I just started getting involved, you know, I my the uh, rehab that I was in was outpatient. So I did it like five days a week, I wasn't I, I wasn't allowed back in school anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up taking uh, going to adult ed and doing my proficiency exam. Um, you know, that was like I said, that was a week before my 16th birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in California, you can, um, you can't take the GED that young, but you can take the California high school proficiency mm-hmm. um, at 16. And it's, um, the test is a little bit harder, but you know, I just, I just needed to be done with yeah. school. Yeah. Um, and so I did that and I, I, I got that taken care of, you know, got my driver's license and just entered the world. Mm-hmm. You know, I started working, um, you know, like I said, I, that, that, uh, outpatient rehab, I was there for about six months. And so we were there five days a week. And when I wasn't there, I was going to meetings or hanging mm-hmm. out at AA halls or AA dances, you know, and I, I made it my whole entire life. You know, yeah. I didn't, know, 
I didn't know how else to exist. Yeah. You know, I had no other examples anywhere. And was um, that down in Southern California then when you were starting out? Yeah. 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 Around like um, Corona, um, okay. Corona area, Riverside. Mm-hmm. Was, and how long um, were you down there? So I was there until, um, I, I guess it was about three years. So when I was 19, mm-hmm. uh, I ended up, uh, I had met a guy down there that, and we dated for a while. We broke up and he moved uh, up here to the Seattle area where mm-hmm. his parents were. And then he came back and asked if I would move up here with him. And he was, you know, a guy in recovery also. Mm-hmm. And, and I did, you know, I had, I had, I had to, my, my parents ended up divorced in that first year. Um, and still a lot of trauma around that. My mom ended up um, with someone who was, she had met in the program, um, but was not someone who could stay sober and was act- was really violent with her. Oh. And when I was 17, I ended up moving out of her house to go couch surf with friends and, mm-hmm. uh, ended up getting my own apartment and stuff like that. But it was, I got kind of launched out because I couldn't, I couldn't stay, you know, she wasn't safe and I couldn't fix it. Right. I and he weren't safe in that situation. Something really bad was going to happen. And I couldn't make her change, you know, um, so I just had to get out. Mm -hmm. Um, So it just kind of launched me into the world. And she, um, you know, left him a couple of times. And I was, I was living back with her at one point when this boyfriend came and asked if I would move up here. And it was, you know, I think half of it was for that opportunity and half mm-hmm. of it was to come back to the Northwest. Like yeah. I never really loved Southern California. You know, I was, I was born and raised in Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the Northwest always felt more like home to me. And, mm-hmm. you know, Seattle was a big city, you know, it just, it seemed like a really great opportunity. So I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I did it. I jumped in with both feet and, uh, and I had, you know, while I was down there, I had a really great network within AA of, mm-hmm. of young people that were, you know, super fun and did a lot of activities. And, um, we had a really great time, you know, there yeah. was like three meetings a week that were probably across a 75 mile span that we all mm-hmm. kind of migrated back and forth through. And, um, it was really amazing. And so it was kind of hard to leave that, but yeah. that was the only thing that I didn't want to leave. It was yeah. a little hard to leave my mom, but I, I was ready. Um, and uh, when I got up here uh, to the Seattle area, it was um, it was a little bit hard to, you know, break in and build a network. But, you know, slowly I did. I got some pretty good friends and and just, you know, started living my adult life and, you know, went went to a fair number of meetings, was pretty involved with traditional AA. Right. You know, the, the God stuff wasn't really that big of a deal to me mm-hmm. uh, for a long time because it, uh, you know, at, at one point really early on, um, you know, I, I didn't have any religious history, right. uh, my family so much. Um, and so when they said, oh, you got to believe in something, you, you need a higher power of some sort. Um, I had initially made my brother that had been killed oh. using him as my higher power very mm-hmm. early on. Mm-hmm. Um, but while I was in rehab, I realized that there was some inappropriate behavior from mm-hmm. him to me when I was younger. And so that kind of, you know, you can't really use yeah. that as your higher power anymore. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, and I sort of didn't know what to do with that. And I remember being in a, um, uh, a midnight meditation meeting once a candlelight meeting mm-hmm. and they did a, um, a guided meditation and you were walking on a beach and a, a being, be- you know, you saw a being of some sort up further and it became more and more clear to you. And then, and then you saw really what it was and then you spoke to it. And I remember I was really into the meditation when it was happening and I was like, okay, I'm going to see my higher power. Um, and, but I couldn't, you know, the light, like there was this bright light and it was supposed to solidify, right? Uh Light never solidified for me. And I was so frustrated while I was meditating. And then, and then again, I had this thing that I chalked up to being my spiritual experience where I, I heard it say, you don't have to see me. You just need to know I'm there. And, and I was like, oh, great. And that was, for years, that was enough. You yeah. know, I didn't really have to question it anymore. And anytime somebody questioned the fact that I may or may not have fully believed, or mm-hmm. if it came, it's like, oh, well, here was my experience. So, and you know, and I just played along like that. And I, you know, my understanding was that that was absolutely necessary in order to find recovery. And mm-hmm. I wanted to be in recovery. Yeah. You know, I everything that happened in my life, um, I chalked up to the only reason I was there to enjoy it and have it was that I was in recovery. Yeah. So if that was a requirement, I had to have it. 
Wow. You know, I relate to you so well, and I think probably because um, I was fairly young, although I was 10 years older than you, um, but um, and I've been in AA the same amount of time as you, that um, AA was just, I mean, it was all I knew. <laughs> it's, and everything that, I started out with zero when I was getting sober, nothing. And yeah. so everything that I had, I could attribute to um, AA and being sober. It was, you yeah. know, it was everything. And like you, there was a traumatic event in my family that tore my family apart. And it, and it had to do with my mother's suicide. And it totally tore my family apart. And like you, I started drinking very, very young. And f- during my 20s, I was drunk probably every other day, you know, um, and putting myself in those situations. When I got sober, there were plenty of young people around my age. You know, I was in my 20s, and there were other guys in their 20s that we hung out together. And it was just home. You know, I didn't have any problem with the God stuff so much. But with for, with, for me, I played along with it. I went along. I said, well, there's... You know, I, I'm like you. I didn't have any religious background, but I thought, okay, I, um, I got to do this in some way. There's got to be some psychological, you know, benefit to doing this. But I, I was, I was talking the talk so much that I think I kind of believed my own stuff after a while. But anyway, yep. I'm sorry for interrupting. No, 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 that's fine. And that's that's one of the things that I love uh, that I've loved about listening to your podcast is that I, I felt the same way. You know, your story has has really resonated with me too. Yeah. So. Um, I wonder if it has to do with because we were so young, you know, starting out because we didn't really have much, you know, we didn't have anything when we started, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Nothing. I, yeah, I had nothing to go on. I didn't even know how to be. I, you know, I talk about this sometimes when I share that, um, you know, because they talk about, you know, take what you need and leave the rest behind. I mean, that's my my entire personality and persona was built on that. Like I didn't know, I I remember having kind of an identity crisis early on there, you know, because the only, I only knew Willow as a stoner partier chick. I mean, I, I, I was not anything else besides that. Right. Um, And so I just started like looking at other people and how they were and what they were and taking little pieces of them to build my person, Mm -hmm. you know, um, so yeah, and that you know, and that that sustained me for a really long time. You know, it wasn't. Um, I did. I had a few. I had a few experiences where, um, like, I would. I went to both NA and AA meetings for a long time. They were really interchangeable to me. Mm-hmm. I think. I think that alcohol is a drug. Yeah, um, yeah. And they and say that NA too, don't they? It, yeah. Huh, the the difference between like the the I don't know controversy that comes up about oh drug addicts in Alcoholics Anonymous meetings mm-hmm. and stuff like that is just such bullshit to me because yeah, I agree alcohol is a drug we are all addicts like yeah. it doesn't and, yeah. and that that core feeling right that core desperate horrible feeling that we have is the same for all of us yeah and core principles of recovery are the same for all of us and the two go hand in hand i mean this is what's so crazy i was talking to who was i talking to about this i can't remember the last anyway it might have been um richard but yeah it was richard h we were talking and we said yeah but almost every drug addict you know that comes into aa they're also drinking copious amounts of alcohol <laughs> Absolutely. They're totally hand in hand. I mean, there are some alcoholics that don't do drugs. Yeah, but um, not that many anymore. Not the other way around. Yeah, not really. Yeah. But yeah, so um, so things were things were great for a long time. And, and you know, the status quo was A-OK. Um, and then uh, in 2000, so I had about 12 years sober at that point. Um, I was still living up here in Seattle and, uh, the, the guy I'd moved up here with, we had broken up a while before and, you know, I ended up, so I had some friends that I knew from recovery who had, um, decided kind of at the last minute to go to Burning Man one summer. Oh, cool. And that was, so that was, uh, in 1999 and they came back from that and they had these amazing stories mm-hmm. of, of just the crazy cool stuff that mm-hmm. they had seen there. And these guys, um, we're all like, um, we, we all snowboarded together and we're into kind of extreme sports and mm-hmm. you know, they were skaters, snowboarders, mountain bikers, stuff like that. And so they had gone and done this extreme thing just cause it was extreme <laughs> and they were all sober. Uh-huh. Uh, and they just talked about how amazing it was and how uh-huh. cool it was. And, and I was like, Oh, we are going next year. We're doing this. Um, and so in 2000, I went and did that. And that was, um, it, I, I don't know how much you know about Burning Man, but a lot of people have the concept that it's just a huge party, right. which that is a piece of what uh-huh. it is. Um, but it's it's also a whole lot more. And what I found through that, 
um, which I had been kind of missing in my sort of small life that was just work and AA meetings, um, was that people doing really amazing creative things. There's um, Burning Man has a set of principles itself. It's mm-hmm. called the Ten Principles, mm-hmm. um, which I have. Let's see, I, I pulled. They really kind of go hand in hand with AA principles mm-hmm. when you think about them. So they are um, radical inclusion, gifting, decommodification, radical self-reliance, radical self-expression, communal effort, civic responsibility, leaving no trace, participation, and immediacy. Excuse me, immediacy. And uh, you can look up, they have, you know, they have kind of an explanation of each one of those, Mm -hmm. what it means kind of to the community as a whole. But um, what I, what I found there was this, um, this whole community of people that lived on a set of principles that were pretty similar to the things that I resonated, resonated most with in AA. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I went with some people who also didn't drink and stuff. I was solid in that part. You know, Mm -hmm. I was, I was pretty solid in my recovery by that time. And then these people also just created the most amazing art and experiences and um, kind of temporary utopian society. Mm-hmm. And I'd never I'd never experienced anything like that before. Um, I'd never, you know, I always felt like I had the potential to be a little bit creative, um, but I'd never really tapped into any of that before. Uh, and so, you know, through that, I found the ability to do that. I started, um, after I came back, I went and found somebody to teach me how to do fire dancing and ended up performing as a fire dancer, which is a really fun and cool thing to do. And Hmm. and through that community, I found a bunch of people that also, um, uh, because a lot of people that do that, of course, when you're playing with fire, you don't want to be inebriated, right? Right. There you go. My sobriety sobriety was a really great benefit to that. Yeah. Um, most of the people, while we were practicing or performing or things like that, they were also sober. Uh-huh. Um, so I could, you know, relate well with them. And even when they did party around me, I still, you know, I'd come to care about them. And there was such a, they were such an accepting um, and engaged and smart, funny community mm-hmm. that it didn't matter that they partied and right. I didn't. And and never once have I had anybody try to make me party with them mm-hmm. either, like, they, they love that I can drive yeah, there you go. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, you know, I'm, I'm the sober friend. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but that, that experience, um, really opened up my whole world. Mm-hmm. And another interesting thing that happened is at, so, and I've heard you talk about this a few times before, you know, one of the things that AA gives us is, um, access to a community right. and, um, you know, and, and those are, you know, that churches are one of the only other places that I think that tends to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, sometimes there's other ways that build up community, but, but there needs to be some common focus, I think, for a community to build around. And we don't have access to very many of those. Mm -hmm. And so my only source for community for a long time had been AA, Mm -hmm. but I, but I found that a lot of people were really kind of stuck in the same old, same old there. And as I got had more and more time sober, just hearing about everybody's problems with alcohol mm-hmm. was not very life enriching to me right. anymore. <laughs> right. You know, so, so as I started to discover this other community, um, I, I also started kind of falling away from AA. And mm-hmm. I, you know, when I look at it now, I think that part of that was because um, I felt like if I, if I talked about the fact that I was doing this stuff in an AA meeting, mm-hmm. that I would get a lot of shit for it. Oh, okay. um, you couldn't, you know, it's like hanging out in a bar, you can't do that. Oh, no. yeah. And I didn't, I didn't want to have to defend this amazing thing that was happening in my life. Sure. But it also, I didn't feel, you know, it wasn't something that was putting me on the edge in my no. recovery. It's just expanding my life experience in just the most amazing ways. Yep. And um, so that and that's what that's what AA is supposed to do for us. You know, we're not supposed to hide out in AA. We're supposed to be part of the world. It it says that in there somewhere. You know. Yeah, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Um. 
so so if you're out there you know if, if you don't see somebody in a meeting maybe it's because they've gone back to college or exactly. <laughs> exactly. Which, which i've never really i never really, really thought of before i thought if you didn't see them in meetings they must be drunk or dead you yeah. know because i did Never. that i was like in my 30s and i went back to college you know and when i was doing that i wasn't going to as many meetings and maybe there were some people back in my own home group thought i wasn't doing very well yeah <laughs> but i was yeah. actually meeting new people and learning new things so anyway. yeah so and then uh and i met my current husband um like a year and a half after that and uh he's he's uh not in recovery uh He's a normie. And so, you know, meetings were no longer a date. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and after a few years, you know, I realized that I was going entire years without going to any meetings at all. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I started to, you know, for a while, I've been like, you know, this, that doesn't, that doesn't seem right. You know, Mm -hmm. we're, we're told that that's how, you know, that that's the beginning of the end. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't know if that's always true or not, but I, I definitely don't want to find out, you know, I still feel like my entire life um, and the reason that it is the awesome life that it is right. an attribute to my recovery. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I've, and I've had people say, oh, you were so young. That was just a phase. Da, da, da. But like I said earlier, you know, I know that I think about I still if I consider alcohol or drugs, I don't think about them in a reasonable way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, So yeah. going back to that is not an option. And that, you know, you hear stories about how that that mental twist happens just out of the blue mm-hmm. um and it happens because people you know get too far away from recovery so i started to be really conscious of the fact that i didn't want that to mm-hmm. be the case mm-hmm. for me you know so i've been I, I had started trying to find ways to kind of blend my program back into the rest of my life but but not give up these amazing things that sure. are part of my life either because sure. um, I, I really don't think that that's necessary yeah. uh, and kind of reaching out you know there is at burning man they have there are sober camps of people mm-hmm. go and um i i went uh eight times to burning man i only went to a meeting finally the last time that i went mm-hmm. which was weird because <laughs> <laughs> um, i always knew about them but i was doing other stuff you right. know that was way more fun <laughs> yeah. um and but even trying to you know so trying to link uh back into that community there you know it's pretty dispersed and i didn't i didn't quite um make the connections that I was seeking. Um, right. I sort of reached out and tried, but it was a little bit hard. And, um, you know, and so coming, you know, coming back home, you know, I was like, gosh, how do I, how do I blend these two things together? And, and I started, you know, going to a meeting, you know, once a week or, you know, two or three times a month, I, I found a meeting near my house and, you know, just trying to reintegrate myself. And it had, what I realized is that, you know, I'd been away from AA, um, for quite a while, but then I was sober for so long that I wasn't like a newcomer coming back. Right. Um, so people, you know, I think when you're new to meetings, people really embrace you and pull you into right. the and, Right. And so I wasn't really getting that. Right. Uh, but, and I also, there's some things that, some commonalities that weren't there anymore. And this, this whole other part of my life is not really something that I can bring a lot of other AA people uh-huh. to join in. And so it's been kind of hard to reintegrate that, but I'm working on it. um, uh, Another thing that happened along that same time is I started paying attention to the news of the world, Uh, um, which, you know, because kind of because of my AA principles, I had not for a long time. Right. mm. You know, I didn't need to fight anyone. You know, I didn't I didn't need to think, 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 you know, you know, like uh, um, it, it made sense to me for a while to not be engaged in some of that stuff but you know now being an adult and being um someone with a little bit of maybe skills to offer Uh you know that i've that i've been able to develop um in my time since i've been sober you know i started paying attention to what was going on listening to npr stuff Mm -hmm. stuff like that and thinking about that stuff and that's when you know, so much of the negative things that we hear happening are kind of related related to religion right. and disagreements over mm-hmm. gods. Right. Um, and as I started thinking about that, um, it became more and more clear to me that that I thought that was a problem, mm-hmm. <laughs> that someone should do something about it, that it's such a big problem that not any one of us can do anything about it. And the only thing that I could do anything about was my own position my own message and being really clear on what 
what I think and believe and what my own truth is. Right. And, um, and it didn't take very long for me to come to the fact that I knew and always knew that I'm actually atheist. I don't, sure. I played the agnostic card for mm-hmm. a long, cause it felt like what was right. And I, and I was told that I had to believe in something in order to have access to this. Yeah. Amazing life. And an AA, it seems like it's easier to say you're agnostic. If you say you're, if you're an agnostic, there's still hope for you. Right. <laughs> if right. you're an atheist. You'll come around. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you're an atheist, it's like you're shutting off. It's like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so as I got more clear on that, um, and then I was like, oh, shit, what, what is my place in AA? Can I yeah. even be in AA anymore? Oh, yeah. If I'm an atheist? And mm-hmm. so then I thought about it a little bit. I'm like, well, I'm sure that I can. I just, I need to rewrite the steps for myself or wow, something. You're telling like my that. story, man. That's exactly I, what I was going through. <laughs> I know. I know. I've, I've heard it. Um, but uh, so, yeah, so I started, uh, I started thinking about doing that. And then I was like, wait a minute. I bet, I bet that I don't have to invent this wheel. You know, uh-huh. I bet there are others like me that have gone through this. So yeah. I started searching the web and um, I ended up finding, um, I found a couple of things here and there. One of the main things I ended up finding was locally, there's a, um, a meetup group called Atheists in Sobriety. Okay. And uh, I was like, hmm, well, let me go check that out. And there was just a couple of people there. Um, but through that small group, um, I met uh, Tom L., who um, ended up starting the first Many Paths meeting uh, down here in uh, Burien. Oh, cool. And, um, and a couple of other people that were, you know, they were in AA also, but they didn't really, couldn't really find a place to talk about their atheism in mm-hmm. AA, so they had this separate meetup group. And, um, you know, Tom had been researching this a little more. He came into AA you know, with that type of belief. And, um, and I just found, you know, it just snowballed, you know, p- people gave me a few resources. I found your website, the mm-hmm. Agnostica, that kind of thing. It snowballed and I just got found more and more and more information. And this was, um, this was the end of 2015, I guess. Okay. Yeah. And so, and we ended up, a few of us ended up going to the, um, the one day conference in Olympia. Yeah. And, uh, um, so that was February of 16, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So um, so at that, so so the Friday night, the, the conference itself was on Saturday. And uh, I got there early the Friday night. Um, we'd kind of done a meet and group, meet and greet. And then uh, I was back up in my room uh, kind of getting ready for the next day. And I decided to listen to one of your, your podcasts. And mm-hmm. I can't remember which one it was. I should probably go look back and look, about, look at it. But that was, you talked a fair amount about your story in mm-hmm. there. And, um, and it was a really good conversation. And that was, um, I had a, a super, it was almost like that same spiritual experience that you f- feel like you have when you first come to AA and you realize, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. Yeah. And it was very moving. And I, and I had that experience listening to that podcast because mm-hmm. I, I realized I wasn't alone. Um, there were a lot of people having the same experience mm-hmm. that I was, um, that it was really important. I and those people needed to be able to find each other yeah, yeah. and that there were things starting to happen that were going to make that possible and right. that I was able to be a part of them. Yeah. And, uh, and I probably, I probably cried through about half the second half of that podcast, wow. because of that. Um, but it was really, it was really amazing. And, um, and, you know, and that then the day at that conference and seeing, you know, 70 people in the room all talking about this stuff was so exciting um, and I actually, you know, I knew that day that I was in the middle of an extremely pivotal day in my entire life. Interesting. You know? um, which I don't, I don't know how often you get a chance no. to um, really be aware of that. Mm-hmm. But I was on that day. And it's that is so interesting. Your, your story parallels mine. I had that experience in Santa Monica. It was like, yeah, I knew that that was a moment that was changing me forever in AA. Yeah. Yeah. It was so cool to be aware of, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And it, and it has, I mean, that is absolutely proven to be true. And my, you know, I'm, I'm still somewhat on the path of, of realizing my own truth. I, it, that's starting to solidify and, and be pretty clear for me. Um, mm-hmm. you know, what I want to do with that truth, um, is a little more questionable how to apply it. Um, you know, cause that's, I had the experience, you know, because I was playing along with traditional AA, right. um, you know, the, the experience of praying and things like that, those those practices were helpful to me. Mm-hmm. It's very important to me to 
use different language now and to not do the play along part anymore. Yeah. But I still really want to find ways to integrate those practices into my life. True. Because I, it, it, it makes no sense not to tap into them, yeah, right? Yeah, you know. I, I you, know that you, I'm just talking to myself. That may, exactly. It does make sense because I actually did the same thing. I don't do the praying anymore, but there was a long time that I did. I'd always start my day on my knees. Um, it's hard to believe I did this, but I used to do this. I start running damn. There's nothing wrong with it, but I don't. I just don't do it now. But I was getting something out of it. Of course, yeah. there was. There is no God listening to me or giving me any empower or anything. But I was. I was centering myself. I was taking some time to be quiet and reflect and just kind of get myself centered and remind myself what's important. That's what I was actually doing. Yeah. I, I was praying to a God that I didn't know what I was doing, but but the actual action that I was doing was that. So yeah, there's some value to that. And I could see going to a meeting and say, you know what? No God, I don't talk to God, but I, I do this. And yeah. I really, you know, as I think more and more about, you know, what do I really think about this? You know, what I believe is that I, I believe that we are extremely powerful, each of us individually, yeah. um, for good and for bad. Uh, and, you know, I think that I think that the only things that exist in this world are nature, right? And mm-hmm. nature is just science. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's no divine plan for it, right? It's just science and evolution. And the mm-hmm. things that happen in nature, they happen and nobody has any control over them. Right. Um, and, you know, it's chaos and that's okay. Right. Uh, then there are people and their people and the decisions that they make and the actions that they take hmm. are the rest of it. And, yeah. and all of the things that happen in this world are, to me, are attributed to those things. Yeah. And I, I think that people are, um, they don't want to believe how much power they have for good or for bad. You know, there's, mm. there's. There's the concept that uh, with great power comes great responsibility. Good point. (laughs) Good point. I I think that that's true. I think that to recognize that people are responsible for so many awful things in the world um, is more than most people can handle. Yep. Um, and, and because of that, it's hard for them to tap into the amazing, how much amazing things people are responsible for. You know, that anything fantastic that happens that's not chaos is people, right? It's not some God doing it. You know, um, if someone recovers from something miraculously, quote unquote, right? Uh, it is because people did something or nature took it, its course. Yeah. Um, if, and that gives us a lot of power. There's so much we can do with that if we recognize it. Absolutely. You know, it's kind of interesting. We at the meeting today, we were talking about um, responsibility. The reading was from uh, Walk in Dry Places. And we were talking about personal responsibility. And I believe that, you know, we do have responsibility for our own recovery to take the actions that we the action that we need to take, you know, to not drink to be sober to give something back to the world. Um, and I was thinking to myself, said, yeah, and I have a real responsibility because, you know, my drinking just wasn't affecting me. It, it's a, it affects other people. Um, I mean, I was a drunk driver and, and I used to drive around in blackouts and I'm just really lucky I, I didn't kill anybody and, and someone else is really lucky I didn't kill him. But I, I, I can't I can't afford to um, allow myself to do that, to live like that again and put people at risk. Yeah. But I have the power, you know, like you say, and I mean, it's, it's, it's me, it's up to me, you know, I can decide to go to meetings, I can decide to stay in recovery, I can, you know, or not. Yeah. And I also, you know, with that responsibility, but, you know, um, now that I've kind of come to this realization for myself, I feel a huge responsibility to, um, to do what I can Mm -hmm. to, to help change AA. Yeah better you know i've heard you know i i kind of hesitate saying that because that that gets people up in arms like oh you know i actually yeah we had this amazing meeting um it was it was the first of an agnostic meeting up in another area and uh it was so it was new to all these people and a bunch of different people shared and there was people with faith and with not faith and buddhist and you know all, all kinds of variety all shared how great it was to have a meeting like that and the very last guy that shared of course he's the one that stuck with me the whole time mm-hmm. very last guy that shared was like i don't know why you think we need to change aa da, 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 you know and uh and, and and i think he said who are we to change aa right and 
and my answer was, we are AA. Exactly, exactly. But that is what AA was designed exactly. to Exactly. That's that, exactly I, how I feel. We are AA. We created yeah. AA. I mean, it is our inheritance. It's it's it, yeah. it's our responsibility as you, you know, it's, yeah, there is no outside thing that's AA. It is us. Yeah. And we make it what we want to make it. And it's going to change. You know, it's, it's weird that, you know, I think that from what I understand of AA history, it's like from the time that you and I got into the program in the 1980s, that's when people started um, wanting to go back in time and hold on to the past and somehow mm. recreate it into like some magical thing. Like it was the, the best way and only way and good way. And boy, that's that's not right. That's not what we want it's to do. Not, it's so it's so dated. I mean, it was a great you know it was a great foundation, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. it's great that those folks shared their story at the time. But when you when you really think about it, mm-hmm. um, I mean, it's it's based on the you know the the core of it is based on the language and yeah. knowledge of some guys. Yeah. Forty years or in the nineteen forties, right, right? Right. With five years sober, like <laughs> just and five I, years. And I could see how it could kind of work in the eighties in a way because I mean i I grew up in the sixties and the seventies, so I wasn't too far removed from that language, you know. But yeah. now we're talking about the year two thousand seventeen. <laughs> it's yeah. a lot. These guys are these guys would have been way over a hundred years old now if they were still alive, you know. And I mean. You know, the reason I think the reason that the core principles still work is that basic human behavior is the same. Yeah, you know? you're right. And that those things tie into that. But we know so much more yeah. about psychology and science and yeah. um, and we communicate in such different ways now than we did then mm-hmm. um, that it really like it really needs to evolve, I think. Yeah. Um, and I don't, you know, so yeah. So when you were going to meetings in Seattle, um, you were going to traditional meetings. But when did you start going to agnostic meetings? Because they were always going on up there while you were up there, right? Um, you know, so there there was one uh, that's been going on for kind of a long time mm-hmm. uh, in Seattle proper. It's in a neighborhood called Ballard, which is kind of north of me a ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I live in the south end of Seattle. And uh, I had never, and, and there was a couple of others, um, but I had never been to any of those. I had never thought about seeking them out and so when I started searching so that was um you know winter of last year um when I started searching I I did go to that Ballard meeting and it was it was all right it wasn't Mm -hmm. it was was good Mm -hmm. you know um but it was it was kind of pretty similar to most meetings that I'd been Mm -hmm. to and it you know that feeling like I was talking about of of, um you know just kind of being the same old thing you know hearing the same old stories that was there um and i don't you know i wouldn't want to i wouldn't want to offend any of those folks that were there that Mm -hmm. you know because it's 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 great that they were doing it but Mm -hmm. it just it just didn't have quite what i was looking for Mm -hmm. um and i think i think the difference so like um when i started going to the many paths meeting in burien um uh tom had found josie's book and was reading from that and um there's there's a difference it's kind of more than just questioning the God part. Right. Um, there's there's a, a willingness to let everything be up for question. Right. You know? Um, and I one of the things that I've learned in in being sober for a long time, you know, I've seen people come and go and for a long time, like you were saying, if people weren't in meetings anymore, I assumed the worst. Oh yeah. That's <laughs> but sometimes people just don't like AA. Yeah. They got what they needed, you know, and they move on with their life. But they need something different uh-huh. or they you know, and, and there are, there are so many other ways to recover, yeah. you know, people use churches, um, people use nothing at all, right. people, people go back and drink moderately. And I think some people too, like, when you have a crisis, when you're in an alcoholic crisis, this is a horrible, horrible, terrible time in a person's life. And it's and you really, you know, benefit a lot from AA, I think during that time, and it might be six months or a year or whatever, till you kind of get through all of that. But I think some people, AA helps them through that time so they can just move on with their lives. Yeah. You know, because I've seen people that were coming to our group for like six, seven, eight months, a year or whatever, and they don't come for whatever reason, but I see them and they're, they're, they're happy and fine and doing great. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't think that that's the route, you know, I I think I need to stay connected to it, but, 
I've come to understand that um, you ne- we need to allow for what, whatever path somebody needs to take. And right. it's not cut and dried and black and white. And it's not only our way will work. You know, right. our way is our way. Right. Right. You can share that. And, but that's as far as it goes. You know, right. my the way that I did it is the way that I did it. It, it may or may not work for everyone. The thing that I do think is important is um, that that shift that I think needs to happen is making more of that okay. Yeah. You know. Yeah, um, I, I agree. Not, not telling people like, oh, well, if you know, I mean, I've had tell people say like, there's no way you could have hit bottom, you know, mm-hmm. yet. Uh, like, like I, I should go and try, mm. uh, you know, or you know, and I've 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 heard, and it's been a long time since I've heard this. It was before I question the God part that I heard stuff like this from people. But Mm -hmm. if people weren't sure about believing, well, you might not be done yet. You might not be ready. You should. That is so stupid. There's, there's some hard asses out there. (laughs) That can be a death sentence. That is. It can be. Yeah. Yeah. There's some people, I don't know why I think, I guess they think they're helping people, but I should go to this one group. There's this guy at this group. He has some nicknames, some crazy nickname, but he he basically tells people to go out and drink if they don't like if they don't want to believe in God or whatever. It's just it's crazy crap. And anyway, that's, yeah. So people like us need to be <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the thing that like I it makes me want to leave and not be a part of AA anymore. Yeah. But if I'm not there, right? AA is the most popular yeah recovery resource that it is. Well, what it is too, you know, those people are so bad for AA because um, when someone goes to an AA meeting, if they just hear one person say one stupid thing, that's a deal breaker almost. (laughs) It doesn't take a whole lot, (laughs) you know. So, you know, I don't know that we can stop that, but we can definitely staying being in the room to tell a different side is is the thing that I can do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I don't go to very many traditional meetings, so I'm, I'm kind of not doing that thing that I yeah, think that I'm Yeah, I know. Doing. I'm the same way, Willow. I, <laughs> I tell you, it's hard. I try to go to these damn th- th- these things, but they drive me so crazy sometimes. I promise you, I'm going to try to go to one. I got to do it just, just to, to keep yeah. myself fresh in AA because all well, I know the, is the agnostic stuff anymore. One of the things that I really love is, you know, so so like reading from Joe's book, for instance, mm-hmm. um, there, there's so many things to talk about like, like the tone that it sets in our meetings Uh um, for the recovery conversations Mm -hmm. that we have, Mm -hmm. we almost never talk about our experiences with alcohol in our meetings. We talk about our experiences with recovery. And I get that. I get that the new, new person might really need to hear about your experiences Mm -hmm. with alcohol. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of traditional meetings where they can find that. But for me, sitting around and talking about that. And I, I've been in meetings where they have it in their preamble that that's what we limit our discussion to. Oh, I know. Awesome. Those silly things. Those are silly. Because I, really the bottom line is in AA mostly we don't talk about our use that much unless the, the topic is specifically about that. But usually, I mean, the steps aren't about drinking. The steps are about living. Yeah. Anyway. Yep. <laughs> My philosophy yep. anyway. So, um, so yeah, so I, I think, um, you know, I'm really right now, I'm really uh, focused on being of service in that way to a as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also started, you know, being more of service within my local community doing some civic stuff. Yeah, because I can, you know, because my recovery has made me a pretty good person with some access to some skills and some yeah. sense ways to deal with things you know i think that i can be an asset to my community yeah so i'm trying to do that it's really hard mm-hmm. that's i think and i think that's also a reason that i need to make sure that my recovery is in order because <laughs> doing that stuff or even getting involved in service within aa mm-hmm. um there's a lot of difficult personalities to yeah be there with. are there i am are. you know if i don't have my own recovery in good order that's true. I'm one of those difficult personalities, I think. So, That's, oh boy, I, I I love it, but there are some times when I deal with some difficult people. But for the most part, um, for the most part, I like I like my A friends around here. Yeah, <laughs> the, the traditional ones. Even I don't go to their meetings, but I, I deal with I see them. I deal with them. I see them in the district meetings and stuff. Which I think I got one next weekend. Yeah, but yeah. well, I think it's really important for um you know for that to happen, especially those of us who are kind of you know I think of the secular AA thing is kind of a movement. And I've, 
I think I mentioned this in the last podcast, uh-huh. but you know, I, really, I really hope that um, because AA is is supposed to be secular, you know, right. it really it is. That's how it was designed, and you know, the um, there's some talk about the name and, and right. you know what we call this movement, that kind of thing. But um, I really hope that that name doesn't need to stick around for a long time because what we're able to do is just help AA be secular and it doesn't have to be separate. I agree. And I tell you, it's so necessary. I had a really interesting experience today. I was talking to this, I I did this um, YouTube uh, channel guy did an interview with me. He's on, he's got this YouTube channel called Atheist Lowdown and he's based in Dallas, Texas. And he wanted to learn about secular AA. So I was talking to him about it and he told me what his perception of AA was and he's a total outsider and his perception of it was a place where they talk about God and Jesus all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and they try to get wow. you they try to get you to find Jesus. And I'm like, oh God. <laughs> that was his you know, and it's like I can understand I guess why people feel that way, but that boy, we gotta change that perception. You know, we need yeah. to change that. We have a really bad a public image if that's what people think. Um Some about do. well and I think I think especially if you're somebody who is opposed to that. Oh yeah. Uh, that that's you kind of pick up on that. Well, that's that's what this is about. You know, it's, it's interesting. I've I've had a thought. Um, I've had a thought recently. You know, there's a lot to talk about um, using non-conference to prove literature uh-huh. and meetings and uh-huh. stuff like that. And you know, I think most people know that. You know, that's not written anywhere. Yeah, yeah, you can use <laughs> you know, it, it, you can use anything. But I think I actually think that one of the reasons that people um, started kind of enforcing that. Because the only place that I had seen that kind of pulled out of somebody's pocket was quite a long time ago in a meeting. Mm-hmm. And someone pulled out their Bible and started quoting. And the person in the room said, hey, you know, only a conference approved literature here. And I, I think that that is actually how it started. That concept started um, was to keep people from reading from. It could be. Sure. That you know, because uh, so I hear that around here there are people that bring Bibles to meetings at this one particular group, which I find really kind of weird. Um, but that could be. And also, I remember when I was first starting out in AA, one of the most popular books to read at almost every meeting was the Twenty Four Hour Book, which was a Hazelden book, but it always had like a prayer in there. It was like real religious. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't do that anymore. They don't ever use that that book anymore. They re- ended up replacing it daily reflections, which is almost equally as religious, but approved <laughs> by the conference. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's an it's an interesting it's an interesting journey, though. It's um uh, and I'm just I, I mean, all in all, you know, my biggest takeaway is I'm I am just so grateful that that you and you know other folks like us and that that people are out there talking about this stuff and making it available you know I it was it was such a it was such a horrible feeling for me to think that because I was recognizing my own personal truth that I wasn't gonna have access yeah to the recovery community anymore or at least the AA community yep. you know that I had been based in and so um you know I just I, I think that this this stuff is so important in the it conversations is. and the conventions and the you know, all the websites and getting the information out there. And there's, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, there can be some, some bickering around it. <laughs> yeah. um, but just as long as we don't stop. Yeah. Yeah. Just gotta keep going. Um, cause yeah. It's, it is so important. We had, so the, the, the kind of epitome of it was that we had a, a, a young girl come to our meeting um, a few weeks ago and uh, she shared about halfway through the meeting and she said, you know, I've been coming to meetings for a little while and I've never felt comfortable sharing in one before. Until wow. the, and the other piece of her story was that the next day she was probably going to have to go to jail um, because she was there on a court card and she had gone to a couple of meetings, um, but sh- she had some major issues with the religious part. They, you know, mm-hmm. some trauma with that was part of her story. Mm-hmm. She couldn't handle it. And so she she was on a court card and supposed to go to meetings. Mm-hmm. But she had stopped because she couldn't, she wow. felt in danger in other meetings. Right. And got them. And, and she found our meeting just the night before she was going to have to go to jail. Oh, wow. And she came back. Um, a little while later and she's, you know, I, I actually, I actually told her that, um, you know, I told her about the precedent where somebody had said that AA was actually religious and they mm-hmm. couldn't go and that stuff. Um, you know, hoping that that she could find some legal help with that. Mm-hmm. You know, 
know, I told her to tell her attorney, but, you know, when she came back, she said, you know, they did use some of that information and the judge had said, okay, you know, um, you can go to your um, counseling sessions and have those count instead. Good. Um, so she didn't have to go to AA meetings anymore. Mm, good for her. But she, but she came back to ours. Good. Because it was the one place that she felt comfortable. And that, that just, that's the epitome of, of why what we're doing. Absolutely. Is, You're absolutely you know, right. They're like that, that can't access AA without a more open approach. Yep. You're absolutely right. Well, thank you, Willow. This has really been enjoyable. It's it's a really great community we're starting. And thank you so much for everything you've done to help. Yeah. It's, it's really appreciated. Well, that's it for another episode of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back again next week speaking with Joe C., founder of the first agnostic AA group in Canada, Beyond Belief, meeting in Toronto, Ontario. Until then... You all take care and be well.